All right, happy Friday. Glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free telephone number. It's 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza? What a week this has been. I mean, an unmitigated meltdown disaster for farmer mini Mike Bloomberg and his campaign. I mean, you know what was amazing about it is the ratings were extraordinarily high. I think it was the highest ever. Now, it was on numerous channels, NBC broadcast, cable TV, MSDNC. It was on, I I think, their partners, Spanish language television and a bunch of other networks. So it was a lot of outlets covering that particular debate rather than one. But there's no doubt that $500 million in slick marketing campaign caught people's interest. But I I mean, you you can say... I know he's going to try and buy his way out of the trouble that he created for himself. You know, it's it's hard to overcome a bad first impression. But the problem is that is Mike. That is Bloomberg. That is Farmer Mike. That is who he is. And there's only and there's only a ton more stuff. We got a pile of new stuff he's facing today that we'll share with you. And I just I don't see it happening because he had all that time to prepare. He's as he's dull as can be. He doesn't have it, whatever it is. And then when you look at the arrogance, the breathtaking ignorance and arrogance of this guy, when it comes to well, I could teach all of you how to farm. Farming's easy. You don't need a lot of gray matter. You just drop a seed in the ground. You dig a hole, drop a seed. You cover it with dirt, pour a little water on it and up pops your corn. I'm like, wow, <laughs> as we've been discussing all week with many farmers. You know, they feed the entire country and the entire world pretty much. So it it has been a a disastrous week. I mean, you want to talk about a shift show? And here's the good news. If you want Donald Trump to win re-election like I do in 256 days, this is only going to get worse. I mean, by a long shot. Wait till we get to next week in South Carolina. Wait till you get to the, the lead up to Super Tuesday. I mean, it is going to be a shift show like you've never seen. It's getting ugly already. And, you know, one thing you can't buy with $500 million is a personality or charisma. uh, And you can't even, I guess, get even decent debate prep because everything, every single thing that Bloomberg got hit with was predictable. And he had no answers whatsoever. Uh, I always like to start with some good news when I can. And, you know, uh, how does President Trump and these rallies have been massive? It was freezing cold. Lawrence Jones, our 2020 correspondent uh, for Hannity, is traveling all around the country for us this election year, uh, was in Colorado Springs last night. The crowd outside as big as the crowd inside in the freezing cold. And that happened in Vegas. That happened in Phoenix. I mean, I, mean, I saw the crowds earlier today from Vegas. They're unbelievable as the president makes his West Coast stop now. Here's the bad news for the Democratic presidential field. I mean, you know, James Clyburn suggesting that, well, the full unemployment of African-Americans is a little deceptive because there was full employment during slavery. I'm like, oh, gosh, please, please don't tell me you didn't say that. But uh, again, if you look at a survey of leading economic indicators just released today, there's no recession in sight. Market Watch put out the economy is showing more sizzle. At the start of this year, 2020, which means that they're seeing steady growth uh, over the course of this year, according to their index that measures the nation's economic health. The leading economic index jumping 0.8 percent in January, according to the conference board. 
uh, increasing twice as much as the Wall Street Journal had predicted it would. Leading index got the biggest boost from rising permits to build new homes. They hit a 13-year high last month as builders now are moving to step up construction as falling interest rates stoke more demand and declining applications for unemployment benefits. You know, we have now, okay, we have millions out of poverty, 8 million fewer Americans in need of food stamps, now headed towards 8 million new jobs created, and the best employment situation uh, in over 50 years. And now this index is composed of 10 separate economic indicators designed to signal the high and low points of any business cycle. Well, that's, that is healthy growth. You've got uh, Senator Tim Scott was on with my colleague, Neil Cavuto. He apparently wasn't on the segment with A.B. Stoddard. President apparently didn't like that as I was watching his rally last night. Um, anyway, Scott telling my buddy Cavuto that he expected to see the president's share of the black vote increase by at least 50 percent. And look at this. We got another Wall Street Journal poll, double digit increases with the president's support with African-Americans. This is now what we're up to 12 polls anywhere between. 16 and 34 and a half percent. And Tim Scott is not wrong. We love Tim Scott. He's a regular on this program. He sees at least a 50 percent increase in African-American support. His numbers among Hispanic Americans, same thing. And, you know, the president, I mean, look at what he's done. Opportunity zones, huge uh, criminal justice reform, huge. Uh, the president speaking yesterday as we started the program, a, a commencement address at the at this hope for prisoners graduation, he's addressing the prisoners right in the front row. When I ran, I pledged to fight for those who've been forgotten, neglected, overlooked and ignored by politicians in our nation's capital. And to the 29 graduates returning now to their families, you've paid your debt to society. You've shown a commitment to change. You've overcome many challenges. You've broken free of addiction. You learn new skills and you replaced old habits with fresh resolve. He says, now you have a chance to begin a new chapter that you are proud to call your own. Your future does not have to be defined by the mistakes of the past. And today we declare that you're made by God and for a great and noble purpose. I believe that, too. Every human being on this earth created by God. You know, how does the president end his rallies? We're one glorious nation under God. We are one American family working to make America safe again, strong again, prosperous again, great again, right? But we have to affirm that, you know, we believe in redemption, second chances, you know, and that's what the president has begun. And that's now happening. And, you know, now we see the at the president's direction, the country continues to soar. Uh, Gallup saying the president's uh, job approval rating is at a record high now. The latest survey finds a, a further increase in national satisfaction with the president. Sixty one percent of Americans say they're better off than they were three years ago. A higher percentage than in prior election years when an incumbent was running. Citizens that have the highest confidence in the direction of the U.S. since the president's inauguration. 46% of the public believes the U.S. headed in the right direction, up four points from last week. And rarely in the years that Gallup has tracked public ratings of the economy since the early 90s have Americans had higher confidence in the economy as they do now. CBS News, 75% of U.S. adults say the economy is in good shape. Well, that's the highest number in almost 20 years. Gallup, nearly six in 10 Americans, 60 percent now say they are better off financially than they were a year ago. Well, that's up 50 percent. 
Washington Post, 75% of the electorate predict they'll be better off a year from now. Okay, that is the mood of the nation survey and the highest number they've ever recorded as well. I mean, this is all, I mean, what's bad about that? Anything? I don't think so. Uh, so you look at these numbers, and these are real Americans, real families, real our fellow citizens, and they're doing better than ever. Record low unemployment. Every demographic group benefiting. Home building is up 13%. Home sales surging 9%. That's a the Reuters story that came out today. That's, again, good news for we, the American people. Look, I'm not, I don't give out economic advice. I don't. I'm, I, my, I, I have a, a guy that I love. Uh, Gene Hensler and Associates down in Georgia, my buddy Bill Laco, they, they, they hate me because I don't like to put my money or much of it or put a lot at risk in the stock market. See, if you would have done this, I, I, look, I don't, the stock market to me has never been the biggest, best indicator. Now it's doing great. Our 401ks are great. But the one piece of advice I would give you, if you want to buy a new home or you want to, uh, finance a home or refinance a home. Now's the time to do it. I have a, a somebody who works for me on the TV show. You know who I'm talking about, Linda. Uh, just got a new home. And I said, well, what was your interest rate? It's like three something for a 30 year fixed. That's like free money. I'm, I'm just telling you that we may not ever see these numbers again in our lifetime. It's so low. And so if you're thinking about buying that house and you're on the fence don't be on the fence. You know, if you can get that loan, get it. And uh, or maybe refinance your home. But this is the best opportunity you're going to have to do it. Um, anyway, so those that's good news. Now, the bad news is if we take a, a radical shift down this this socialist lane that every one of those lunatics on stage this week would take us. That would not be good for the American economy or for we, the American people. I mean, Bernie Sanders looks like he's got a double-digit lead. Well, not looks like he has a double-digit lead heading into Saturday's caucus in Nevada. Emerson Poll released. I mean, now they've got him, you know, smashing. He's got 30% of the vote. Pete Buttigieg currently leads Sanders by one delegate, came in a distant second at 17%. Joe Biden came in one point behind uh, Mayor Pete with 16%. Pete has 17%. Warren and Klobuchar. And Tom Steyer, you know, following the pack. I mean, this 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 is now Bernie's to lose by every measure. And you, what you see is, well, they want to steal it from Bolshe, uh, Bolshevik Bernie. It was a Yahoo News story, the international secretary for Sweden. Now, remember, I told you the story recently. Finland's government, often cited by Bolshevik Bernie as the great model, collapsed of its own weight because they couldn't keep up the welfare state. The, the socialist utopia that everyone talked about, they collapsed. Now you have the socialist leader in Sweden blasting Bolshevik Bernie, saying he would be considered too far left in his country to be a member of their socialist Democratic Party. That, that kind of says a lot. We were at a Sanders event. It was like a, being at a left wing meeting. I mean, that made me laugh. Uh, then you've got farmer. Mike, mini Mike Bloomberg, warning that Bolshevik Bernie could lock up the nomination on Super Tuesday. Well, uh, you had your chance, Mike. Maybe if you didn't, 
you know, make these racial comments of yours. Maybe if you uh, let's see, Warren is so insulting to women. And uh, maybe if you had a little more respect for the farmers that feed us in the entire world, uh, maybe you'd be in a better position. I think only it doesn't matter how much money you're going to spend here. But I'm looking at the Bloomberg news today and none of it is good for him by any measure whatsoever. I mean, you got a story out today. Bloomberg said of a female employee, I'd like to do that piece of meat. By the way, that's the Washington Post. That's what he's quoted as saying. According to the 1996 former employee, that uh, woman working for Bloomberg, she was drugged, raped by a supervisor there. And that was his comment. I'd like to do that piece of meat. Wow. Bloomberg's sexual harassment victims say they've been intimidated into silence. Not sure what that is all about, but uh, then you got Bloomberg staffers, which is even worse. And the Daily Beast put it out. Daily Beast is not conservative. Uh, that he pay, doesn't pay women equally. They've done their investigative report. That's a problem. Then you got Team Bloomberg selectively editing a debate clip to make it appear as if he owned his fellow candidates and he got owned the entire night. And like one good line. And I see this one story racked up three major endorsements after his disastrous debate performance. You know how I interpret that? He probably donated to the people. I don't even know who they are. And he wants to micromanage. I mean, you, you look at his record. I mean, this guy, you got to understand, he wants more Obamacare, more of it. He wants, you know, basically the removal of all guns. I mean, New York laws are the most draconian, banning assault weapons. You know, registering guns. You know, he has his approach to climate change is scary. Uh, vehicles pollution free by 2035. All right. No more gas or oil. The lifeblood of the world's economy he wants to codify Roe v. Wade into federal law. And uh, is, is war on cigarettes. America's open doors. He wants wide open borders. And he destroyed the economy with, you know, his his labor policies, unbelievable, and tax hikes, brags about those too. So KT McFarlane is going to join us later. I'm watching Fox and Friends this morning. Brian Kilmeade is interviewing KT. I'm like, I am shocked at how she was treated by Mueller's team and by the deep state. I I, I it blew me away. A person that has served her country so honorably for decades, known her for a long time. And and literally, she's like these FBI guys wait for her husband to leave the house. Then they start, you know, she thinks she goes, well, do I need a lawyer? I guess you can have one if you want one. And she's like, I, you know, it, it is so, so, so sad that I have FBI friends of mine. I mean, these are the, the salt of the earth, everything you would think. The best people in the world. We have the best, the greatest law enforcement agency in the entire world, our FBI, the 99%. And they tell me, no, don't, if, I, if, don't ever talk to an agent without getting a lawyer. I'm like, what? Well, I, because if, you, if they perceive, not even their, their perception, that you didn't tell them the whole truth, or you, even if you innocently forget something, I don't remember anything. I don't even know who was on this program yesterday. Then they can hit you with a lying perjury charge. And I'm like, well, I want to help the FBI. And they're like, don't do it. That is sad. 
Hi, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Uh, KT McFarlane coming up. Also, Vice President Mike Pence at the top of the next hour after the news. So let me tell you about like Michael Bloomberg, the real Michael Bloomberg. Now, I'll give you one quick snapshot. New York, you know, the, the, just like, you know, you have sanctuary state California, sanctuary cities, sanctuary New York City, free health care for illegal immigrants in New York City. Who pays for that? We, the people that pay our taxes, obey the laws. Uh, and those that did not obey our laws, respect our borders, our sovereignty, et cetera. You know, well, we're just going to reward you. And then you got many. um Many farmer Mike Bloomberg wanting wide open borders and citizenship for illegal immigrants. But anyway, so there's a story in New York. Now, they just came up with this idiotic zero. What do you call this? This zero uh, bail requirement. Doesn't matter what crime you're arrested for. No bail. You're out. And the and literally these criminals are mocking these idiot legislators in New York. Now you see a mass exit at. Exodus, not only out of New York City, but New York State, it leads the nation. Hundreds of thousands of people leaving because they're sick and tired of what government is doing in New York to them. And the same thing in California, the same thing in New Jersey, the same thing in Illinois. My only fear is is liberals leaving because of big government oppression and and high taxation and they're going to go to states or they're going to bring their stupid, idiotic liberal views with them. Because if you're going to move to the Carolinas or Tennessee or Texas or Florida, well, don't ruin the, the new states you're going to by by voting for the same people that you're running away from. It's gotten so oppressive in New York. Get this. Legislators now, they, they want to now they've introduced a ban on smoking. In private homes to prevent, get this, secondhand smoke inhalation. I mean, you got to be kidding me. It's your home. It is your home. But they, they want to control that aspect of your life. Just like, all right, for example, I, I like the, you know, I used to smoke cigars. I don't smoke them anymore. And I love jewel cartridges. They're pretty good. I, I you know, have my jewel here. Now they're banning that everywhere. Oh, my good grief. Can we live our own lives, please? We don't need the nanny state. We just don't. We don't need you managing every every aspect of our lives. You know, liberalism is about statism and control. Bernie Sanders, if God forbid this guy or any of these liberals ever become president, what do they want to do? They want to take over the means of production. What does that mean? They want to take over the energy sector. You mean, they, yeah, they want to own it. And what does that mean? That means that, oh, we're going to limit the amount of oil and gas, the lifeblood of our economy, the single greatest opportunity we have to make every American rich because we've got more oil, more gas than any other country in the face of this earth. For the first time in 75 years, we are energy independent. And if they have their way, whatever version of the Green New Deal they support, it's at some point getting rid of oil and gas. They're going to put some restrictions on all of it. Now, it's really dumb because, you know, think of, you know, geopolitical strategy, for example. The Straits of Hormuz, where all those tankers were being taken hostage by the Iranians, 
Uh, yeah, you got a third of the world's oil supply going through those narrow straits. And with all the instability of the Middle East, the number one state sponsor of terror, you know, it's uh, geopolitically, the, it, it is the least important it's been to the United States in decades and decades. Doesn't matter what the Iranians do, to be frank, in terms of the lifeblood of our economy, because we are now energy independent and a net exporter of energy. All right, so you have you have the the foreign policy, the gr- greater safety and security for the country. We don't have to involve ourselves so quickly in foreign conflicts to ensure the free flow of oil at market prices. We now are a net exporter of energy. You want to bring Putin to his knees? I know how to bring Putin to his knees. And we just find a way to cheaply get our gas and oil to our Western European allies. And that takes away the threat that this hostile regime and this hostile actor, Vladimir Putin of Russia, if he decides to just turn the spigot off and cut off the lifeblood of the our Western European allies one day, which I guess he could do, considering how much election interference he's involved in. It just makes sense. This is all basic common sense. And, you know, with all the talk about them killing each other the other night, Okay, that's a part of the story. But then it's like, okay, 94 trillion over the next 10 years in in the new Green Deal, Bolshevik, Bernie and company, 52 trillion Medicare for all. We only take in four or four and a half trillion. They're talking about those figures over a 10 year period. Well, that means we can't survive. Those are promises that are never going to be fulfilled. You don't believe me? Look at Obamacare. Millions lost the doctors, millions lost plans, and everybody's paying about 200% more. A lot of, and about 40% of the country only has one Obamacare exchange option. That's it. They want the federal government to confiscate your private property, confiscate your private wealth after you paid all your taxes. If you are stupid enough, I guess, to save money, they want to come back and take another bite at the apple. That would be called legalized stealing to me. And then when you die, then they want to take, you know, 40 percent more on a federal level, 10, 13 percent New York, New York City. That's 53 cents of every dollar you've already paid taxes on. You're, you're paying to die. That's how sick it's gotten. So they want to nationalize the energy industry, nationalize the healthcare industry, basically rob every American blind. Bernie Sanders will start raising taxes on people at twenty nine thousand dollars a year. They want to put caps. Bernie would put a cap on the amount of money you're allowed to actually even earn. But again, you pay 29 grand a year and he's arguing you'll you'll save money, even though you're paying more. Never mind the fact that Biden Obama tried to bribe dictators and 150 billion to Iranian mullahs. I mean, how insane is that? Why would you give that to people that chant death to America? Why did Bill Clinton? Give it's a good deal for the American people. No, it's not a good deal for the American people. When he when he tried to buy bribe Kim Jong Il, same thing with Obama. Now we got a guy that honeymooned in in the former Soviet Union. Wow, he wants to be president. Got to talk about a whack job, you know, pseudo communist. And it's only about degrees. Now, why do they want control of everything? Is it because they really want to give you everything for free? It's not because the math will never add up. 
As a matter of fact, revenues to the country will not only decline, but they'll decline precipitously. Our standard of living will decline precipitously. The greatest growth area is in the energy sector. I mean, they're training people in, in energy jobs to drive trucks at 80 grand a year, and they'll give you free housing in some places and all the overtime you can handle. Well, if you're making 40 grand a year or a family four of four making under 54,000 a year, now you're making 100 grand a year. Okay, that means you get that nicer house in a safer neighborhood, better school district. Maybe you get that F-150 or whatever car it is that you want or desire. You get to take the vacation to Disney when your kids are young or wherever you want to go. It's life changing. But they think they, they want the control because by confiscating wealth and promising everything's going to be taken care of. Your health care is going to be taken care of. Free college taken care of. Free daycare taken care of. Free pre-K taken care of. Well, how have they done in the educational system? We pay more per capita than any other country on the face of this earth. And we're ranked 37. You can't screw it up anymore. Ronald Reagan was president, came out with a landmark study. It was called The Nation at Risk. In that landmark study, I'll never forget, it said, had what happened to the educational system in America been done by an outside entity, country, or force would be tantamount to an act of war. That's how bad they screwed up the educational system. Look how bad they've screwed up the healthcare system. Look how look what they do with our money, believing they can bribe dictators into liking us. That's how nuts this all gets. And 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 basically take away all incentive for everybody. But they want to manage every aspect of you. I don't want my life managed by government. I want to live free. I would like less. As Thomas Paine said. In common sense, in 1776, where the guides and dictates of human conscience irresistibly obeyed, there'd be no need for any other lawgiver. But because we're all sinners and failed and flawed and imperfect, in need of God, redemption, salvation and forgiveness, change of heart from the Latin, you know, to have a change of heart, repentance, that's what the word comes from. What do they want? They want... All right, look at Bloomberg. He wants, uh, look at the way he treats minorities. Oh, we're going to throw them up against the wall. We're only arresting minority kids because all the cops that we send to my, all of them, to minority neighborhoods. And why? Because that's where all the crime is. How sick is that? It, it would have a lot more to do with socioeconomics, but that was not his thinking. He wants gun control, cigarette control, e-cig control, french fry control, salt control, and big gulp control. I mean, I, I don't we don't need a nanny state government. You know, it's um, it is pretty amazing that this is they, they think we need them that much that they know better than we do. Like Bloomberg will expand Obamacare. Well, it already screwed us once. Why would we believe you again? But of course, we'll pay for more and then work its way into Medicare for all. He just wants a a a. a sort of a, a slower rollout. This guy wants basically no weapons in anybody's hands, but meanwhile, he's surrounded by armed guards like everybody else in politics in Hollywood. What a bunch of hypocrites. Why can't? It's like when I had Comrade de Blasio on TV. I was like, okay, you have armed guards right there. Does every New Yorker, should every New Yorker have the right to, to have a weapon, a gun in their house to defend themselves? 
Every New Yorker has the right to be safe. I didn't ask you that. Do they have the same rights as you do? Notice they exempted themselves from Obamacare. That's how bad they knew it would be for us. They want to destroy the ability of Americans to protect themselves. Well, I guess we need them. His approach to Bloomberg, many Mike the Farmer, you know, he, he would rejoin the idiotic Paris Agreement, which, by the way, puts all the burdens on us. But yet we've made the most progress of any industrialized nation on our own. Thank you very much. He wants to make sure that 100 percent of new vehicles are all pollution free by 2035. OK, that means no internal combustion engine, no oil and gas. That's what that means. That, that's the net result of it. Another new green deal. How are we going to pay for that? It's the lifeblood of the world's economy. It can make us rich. And of course, you know, the extreme position he has on a, a abortion. He's got a, an Elizabeth Warren-like approach to education funding. You know, she wants to cancel student debt. All right, I paid my student loan off. Do I get my money back? What about everyone that responsibly paid their money back? You know, Bloomberg is saying... You know, that he'd, he'd drastically increase federal spending on higher ed, two-year colleges, tuition-free. He says, no, nothing in life is free, Mike. You're a billionaire. Give your money away. Pay for education. You want to give away? Liberals are only generous with other people's money. Then he's going to give free health care to every illegal immigrant. Then he's going to give citizenship to everyone that didn't respect our laws and sovereignty. And then he's going to have a nationwide tour on, on our lifestyle. E-cigarettes, tobacco, ban e-cigarette flavors. Well, what if people like e-cigarette flavors? We don't need you to tell us. What do you want, a prohibition? I thought liberals wanted legalization of drugs, and they usually do. But you can't have an e-cig. So stupid. Then they take, then they're going to destroy businesses again. They're going to push away manufacturers again because they'll burden them now with more regulation. It's a disaster. Reparations is part of the agenda of Bloomberg. You know, the, the what does he call it? The Greenwood Initiative on race to support the creation of a commission to study reparations. And he wants tax hikes and he's bragging about it. OK. This was a, a great piece. Where did I get this? It was on NRO. I forget who wrote it, though. Sorry, whoever you are. You did a good job. Bloomberg quietly plotting a brokered convention strategy. Now, this is one of the things that didn't get enough attention. They don't care. All of you that are out there going to caucuses, all of you going to primaries, you need to know something. If your candidate wins, everybody but Bernie wants the hierarchy, those that know better within the Democratic establishment to make the choice for you. That is nuts. All right, when we come back, Vice President Mike Pence will weigh in. He's uh, been with the president on his West Coast swing. We'll have highlights of the insane debate from this week and the president's, well, now three um, rallies that he's had about Vegas and Colorado and Phoenix. Pretty amazing stuff. I always think it's best for the president to speak in his own words. KT McFarland screwed over by the deep state and Mueller's team. It is a shocking story she's going to share with us. Uh, and much, much more. All right. And we'll get to your calls today. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program as uh, we now. Wow. I can't believe it's Friday. I don't even feel that tired this week. Feel good. 256 days till you, the ultimate jury, decides. Are you going to shock the world again? Yes or no? 
agrarian society lasted 3,000 years, and we could teach processes. I could teach anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300, you could learn that. Then, then um, you have 300 years of the industrial society. Uh, you put the piece of metal on the lathe, you turn the crank in the direction of the arrow, and you can have a job. And, and we created a lot of jobs. One point... 98% of the world worked in, uh, in agriculture today. It's 2% in the United States. Uh, now comes the information economy. And the information economy is fundamentally different because it's built around replacing people with technology. And the skill sets that you have to learn are how to think and analyze. And that is a whole degree level different you have to have a different skill set. You have to have a lot more gray matter. It's not clear the teachers can teach or the students can learn. And so the challenge for society to find jobs for these people who we can take care of giving them a roof over their head and a meal in their stomach and a cell phone and a car and that sort of thing. But the thing that's the most important that will stop them from setting up the guillotine someday is the dignity of a job. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an ax handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire, feed sacks, and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then paint in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bail a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. So on the eighth day, God made the farmer. But, it, you know, in the mind of, uh, let's see, farmer Mike Bloomberg, you, you dig a hole, you put a seed in it, you put a little dirt on top, you add water, and up comes the corn. Actually says that. I'm like, there are advanced degrees at some of the most prestigious universities on mastering every aspect, the science of our great farmers. Uh, on top of that, this ridiculous, horrific debate to for, uh, performance the other night. Uh, I mean, even every Democrat slamming it. Although the, the consensus today is, well, he'll just buy his way out of that bad de debate performance. Money doesn't buy charisma or personality. Uh, and he did say, and it's a big part of the Democratic base, that murderers, murder victims, they fit only one M.O., only one. You can just take a description, Xerox it, pass it out to all cops they are male minorities, 16 to 25. And people say to me, oh, my gosh, Mayor, you're arresting kids for marijuana and they're all minorities. His answer, yeah, that's true. Why? Because we put all, 
not some, all cops in minority neighborhoods. Why do we do it? Because that's where all, not some of the crime is. Uh, The the single biggest debacle, uh, worst debate performance I've ever seen in my life Uh, There's a new piece of information from the Washington Post to Bloomberg allegedly saying of a female employee, I'd like to do that piece of meat. And a sexual harassment victim say they've now been intimidated into silence. And Bloomberg staffers are disputing that he pays women equally and uh, selectively editing a debate clip to make it appear as if he owned his fellow candidates and uh, clearly buying endorsements after that debate. And, of course, he wants to manage every aspect of, uh, well, let's see, American lives. Uh, Joining us now, the Vice President of the United States, Hour 2, Sean Hannity Show. Mr. Vice President, how are you, sir? Hey, Sean, I'm great. Coming to you from Las Vegas, where uh, the crowd is, uh, is to the rafters. The overflow crowd the last two nights have been amazing. The President did talk about you. He said, right. I, I told I told my Vice President Pence, give a speech, but not too good. I don't want him to give too good a speech. Um, <laughs> him being him, and it kind of made me laugh. Uh, tell us about, I mean, the, the, this is something we've never seen. The crowds outside, both in, in Phoenix and, and all in Vegas, are often yeah. as big as the crowds inside. We've never seen anything like this before. And it seems that the crowds are getting bigger. How do you interpret that? I just interpret it as a, uh, a level of enthusiasm that I think is greater than the fall of 2016. So I think the support is stronger than ever before. We're here in Las Vegas today. You know, the Democrats are having their caucus tomorrow. The president wanted to deliver our message here today. It's a nice sunny day. The overflow is immense. But it was really cold in Colorado. And they had people camping out for, for two days uh, to to be at the rally, and they stuck around in the overflow. I mean, it, it, but it's all, I think it's all a result of the way this, this president has connected to the American people. You've known him for years and years. I've uh, m- known him for over two decades by a long time, about 25 years. Yeah. But it's not just the personal connection. I, You know, I think it's the agenda. And I know there's, you know, I know that demolition derby that happened here in Las Vegas, <laughs> the Democrats <laughs> the other night. You know, you know, I wish I thought of that. I, you know, for, for people that don't know, Vice President Pence was once a radio talk show host, which means there's kind of hope for the rest of us so that, you know, we might actually succeed at something in life. That's that's hilarious. No, it, was, it made me think when I was growing up in Southern Indiana, you know, we'd have the we'd have the county fair and everybody bring their most broken down car and go into the infield at the local track. And oh, I love Demolition other. Derby. Oh, they'd have it in, believe it, it or not, in New York. So, yeah, it was awesome. And, you know, they're all focusing on the friction, but I'm focused on the broken down cars. I mean, <laughs> literally, when, if, when they weren't talking about raising taxes, uh, Bernie Sanders' defense of not being a communist, when he's only a Democrat socialist, uh, you, had, you had somebody on stage that actually said that illegal immigrants are Americans like the rest of us. Um, you know, this is what was on display... You know, in the midst of all the, the theatrical friction, uh, you know, was a radical left-wing agenda. This this party has been overtaken by leftist politics, and I think that I think that's what's driving people in part because they see this is a president who loves freedom, rebuild our military, revived a free market economy through less taxes, less regulation. 
conservatives to our courts, everything that you've accounted for on the airwaves of this country like nobody else. People are seeing the contrast. The choice has never been clear. And that's that's what the crowds are ultimately about, Sean. So you have farmer Mike Bloomberg, nanny state Mike, uh, or as the president yeah. says affectionately, I guess, mini farmer Mike, and so he makes these comments about farmers, I, I, and I, it yeah. takes my breath away. It's almost, to me, as bad as quid pro quo, Joe. And then it's not the issue of stop and frisk. It's we're arresting only minorities because we put all cops in only in minority neighborhoods because that's where all the crime is. And I, I, I've never in my entire life, and I've now been in radio 31 years, if you can believe it, and I've have I heard such seen such a bad debate and now that we're vetting this guy you basically could have taken 500 million dollars and thrown it down the drain uh i bet you know a lot of farmers in indiana and i have friends that are farmers and we've had farmers just calling in all week on this program they are they're they're so offended as i am because the science of of soil and farming and farming and the chemistry i mean he's so ignorant it, it takes my breath away well, it was it was incredibly insulting uh, to, to people on the farm, uh, not just in my home state of Indiana, but really all across this country. And and it reflected uh, an incredible ignorance, to your point, Sean, about agri-science. About I mean, you know, I, I think uh, Mike Bloomberg ought to take a ride uh, in in a combine one of these days uh, when they're working the field because because they're using. They're using, you know, GPS satellites, uh, computers online. They're programming. They're, I mean, they're they're basically constantly measuring soil moisture, um, you know, soil content, productivity. It's incredible how complicated uh, American agriculture. It's the reason we are such a productive agricultural economy. People work their hearts out, but they work smart. They're brilliant and. Uh, Mike they really are. I mean, and that was the other insulting totally part. Oh, uh, you know, America. I could teach anybody to farm. You dig a hole, put a seed in it, put dirt on top, add water, because the corn comes up. And I'm like, and, you know, for today's society, you need a lot more gray matter. And I'm like, wow, uh, the level of ignorance. Let me ask you this. So we see Bolshevik yeah. Bernie Sanders up there. I guess he's now the front runner. And then you got, you know, Farmer Mike yeah, and Quid Pro Quo Joe. Now, okay, so how do you see... This, I mean, there's only one guy that wanted on that stage the voice of the people to reign supreme, and the rest of these candidates, no, 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 we think the hierarchy in the Democratic Party should decide if one does not have the X number amount of delegates. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, uh, look, uh, you know, the president's been very clear. He, you know, he, he basically thinks the Democrat National Committee, uh, you know, took this thing away from Bernie Sanders in 2016, and he thinks they're getting ready to do it again. I mean, Sanders is up here in Nevada, and, and uh, they expect he's going to do well in South Carolina, and he's rolling it up. And uh, But with their with their complex rules, and they've demonstrated the ability to change the rules. I mean, Mike, Mike Bloomberg was only on that stage because they changed the debate rules, which would certainly be news to some of the folks that dropped out because they hadn't qualified <laughs> early on, you know, to make the debates. And so, you know, but I got to be honest with you, you know, people keep saying, you know, who do you want to run against? And, you know, I'll leave that to the pundits. But I'll, I'll tell you what, the president and I look at all of them and we just say, bring it, bring it on. Because whether it's Bernie Sanders or any, any of the rest of them, Sean, 
they all are they all have embraced the socialist policies and agenda the radical social agenda that that has overtaken the democratic party and and i and it's the reason why you see president trump and i traveling all across this country we honestly believe uh that that when the american people are given a choice between more freedom and socialism they're going to choose freedom every time and whoever their candidate is that's what they're going to be offering for the last three plus years between the mob and the media as i call them because it's a mob mentality and the democratic party they have absolutely done nothing to help the American people except rage and hate Donald Trump. And meanwhile, the president is now, well, from foreign policy, Soleimani's dead, the caliphate's dead, uh, al-Baghdadi and associates are dead, the al-Qaeda leader in, in Yemen is dead, and yet we have the best employment situation since 1969, nearly 8 million new jobs created, millions out of poverty, nearly 8 million fewer Americans in need of food stamps. And uh, I'll add to that, the president now has at least 11 polls that have his African-American support anywhere from 16 to 34 and a half percent. Senator Tim Scott told uh, my colleague Neil Cavuto that he expects the president to see at least an increase of 50 percent of the share of the black vote in 2020 compared to 2016. Um, what do you see that is happening? Because this is a demographic shift we're watching right before our eyes. Well, I, I think it's it is because when you have a president who's kept more promises than he made, who's revived the economy, lowest unemployment rate for African Americans in history, lowest unemployment rate for Latinos in American history. I mean, this, the economy is working for every American, and you and you add to that, you add to that, rebuilding our military. Which I was out of Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado a couple of days ago when we came in, Sean. A third of the Air Force was grounded so they could use the aircraft as spare parts to keep other aircraft in the air. We've made historic investments. The commitment of this president to the right to life, to religious liberty, it is resonating in every community in America. And we're going to take that message of freedom and values to the four corners of the country. And I believe with all my heart that... uh, We're going to see President Donald Trump elected for four more years. All right, Mr. Vice President, uh, Mike Pence, 256 days. And then, uh, Mr. Vice President, it will be the ultimate jury, the American people. And they have an opportunity to once again shock the world, the media establishment and Democrats. And uh, I'm hopeful that they do. But I don't take anything for granted. Uh, Thank you for being with us uh, from Vegas today. And uh, we wish you all the best, sir, as always. Thanks, Sean. Great to be with you. All right, got to take a quick break. When we come back, wide open telephones. Uh, also, what do you think about some of the greatest historians in our day and what they are telling us what the history books will predict? I'll explain coming up. General Flynn, um, who was my boss, about uh, a week before the inauguration, I was in a cab ride coming back from a dinner with a Washington reporter who I'd known for decades, and he was thought to be very close to the intelligence community. He turned to me and he said, Michael Flynn can't be national security advisor. He doesn't have the background or the experience. Now, it was not anything unusual. Other people were saying that. But two days later, the Russia probe started. It kicked off. And that was it was a transcript of a phone call between General Flynn and the Russian ambassador. And they're convinced that you were the link. You were the one that established this connection between Russia and Trump, and a connection that never was there. But for two years, your life went on hold. You had to pay oh, lawyers. Oh, what the hell? 
My, I mean, they, they showed up, the FBI showed up at my house unannounced. I was all by myself. They come in and, and I said, do I need a lawyer for anything? I've never met with any Russians. I've never dealt with any Russians. Well, we can't tell you not to get a lawyer, but we just want a little bit of information. We want you to help us with this probe. So I naively went along with it. The whole time they were setting me up for a perjury trap because, Brian, they seized all of my files, my documents, text messages, cell phones from the period that I was in government. They had control of them. They wouldn't let me have control. What of did them. they find in KT McFarland's background? They found nothing. And that was the, that was, I think, the thing. They they thought that they could pressure me to say, well, I lied in one of my early talks with you guys when I didn't have access to my information. You must have lied. There was one point when they said, we're looking at your transcripts and your cell phones and your phone log. And we see that there's a 90 minute period in Mar-a-Lago when you don't text or email or have any any other con communications. Is that when you were meeting with Trump? to get the marching orders. And I looked at it and I said, no, that was actually when I was having lunch with my husband and I put my cell phone away. Look, I was headed, they had absolutely targeted me for a perjury crime or to link Trump. And until I got the best lawyer in the country, Robert Giffre got the Mueller people to admit that they weren't gonna charge me with anything. And then they went on to investigate porn star queens and Trump's taxes. But I was so traumatized, I left the country. I mean. And I went to the remotest part of Scotland where there were no phones, no Wi-Fi, no TV, no nothing to just make sense of it all. And with my husband, because there was a point where I had been so beaten down by the Mueller people that I turned to my lawyer and I said, what do they want me to say? We've gone on for 30 hours. There's nothing more I can give them. If well, Just tell me what they want me to say and I'll say it. And then my husband said, no, you can't do that. You can't lie. The FBI failed their basic obligation. They failed and literally had had numerous significant deficiencies and inaccuracies confirming and vindicating our coverage. 17 specific things they did wrong. Premeditated fraud, FISA court taking away Carter Page's fundamental constitutional rights and civil liberties. 54 subsections. Among the most important are the requirements in FBI policy that every FISA application must contain a, quote, full and accurate, close quote, presentation of the facts, and that agents must ensure that all factual statements in FISA applications are, quote, scrupulously accurate, close quote. These are the standards for all FISA applications, regardless of the investigation sensitivity, regardless, I'm sorry, and it is incumbent upon the FBI to meet them in every application. Nevertheless, we found that investigators failed to meet their basic obligations of ensuring that the FISA applications were scrupulously accurate. We identified significant inaccuracies and omissions in each of the four applications, seven in the first application and a total of 17 by the final renewal application. Former FBI Director James Comey said this week that, that your report vindicates him. Is that a fair assessment of your report? Um, I, you know, I think the activities we found here don't vindicate anybody who touched this. Okay. To get so when Comey that. speaks about FISA, you shouldn't listen. You should listen to Mr. Horowitz. He's not vindicated. And to be concerned about the FISA warrant process is not nonsense. That was Inspector General Horowitz. This is the stuff that Barr and we expect fully John Durham are working on now. And prior to that, I'm listening with I, I see this this morning. 
my colleague Brian Kilmeade interviewing who's somebody who's been a, a friend of this program and a, a longtime friend, somebody I respect enormously. And she has been serving her country since the Reagan years. KT McFarland, who is the deputy national security advisor, telling her story. And by the way, she has a brand new book out. We put it up on Hannity.com. It's on Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. It's called Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. Uh, KT McFarland, thanks uh, for being back with us. How are you? Well, I'm great. And I can't thank you enough, Sean. In the very beginning, you knew something was rotten. And, and you pursued it. Everyone said, oh, there's nothing there. He's imagining conspiracy theories. Turns out you were right, and I know you were right, because I lived through it. You know, it's not about, uh, this is not an ego thing. I just wanted to get to the truth. And I was able to, between behind the scenes on radio and TV, I have the best staff, the, uh, the best people working with me, and uh, an ensemble cast. And we did figure out very early on that something was really amiss. Our sources were impeccable. Uh, the amount of shoe leather reporting we did was unprecedented. And I would characterize this as the biggest abuse of power, corruption, scandal in history. I am shocked. I did not know everything you went through. Tell us the whole story. Well, I went to work for President Trump. I believed in President Trump's mission. And about a week and a half into the Trump administration, the legal counsel of the National Security Council came to my office, and he said, we have a problem. The Washington Post has just called, and they seem to have a transcript of a phone call between General Flynn and the Russian ambassador of several months ago. And General Flynn has said publicly that he did not discuss sanctions with the Russian ambassador, but this transcript that the Washington Post has says that he did. Well, there are a couple things with this. Number one, what the heck is the national security advisor to the president of the United States getting, why is he being wiretapped? Who's wiretapping him? Who has the authority to do this? It's not some rogue junior FBI agent. This is only coming from the top of the Obama administration. And then secondly, this document, which was so highly classified that I didn't even know it existed, much less was cleared to read it, and I had the highest security clearances of government. How did it end up in the hands of Washington Post reporters? That you was know, the beginning I, of the end. I, I will tell you, you add to that, General Flynn, you know, being told by Andrew McCabe when the FBI went in there on day four of the Trump administration, uh, do I need a lawyer? No, that was a lie. They denied him Miranda, simple, basic, fundamental, constitutional rights, civil liberties, Miranda rights. Secondly, then you got that arrogant, super patriot Comey bragging, oh, I did something I'd never do in, in the Bush or Obama years or ever dare get away with. And I'm sure I sent my guys in. What, to set up a 33-year veteran that they had already, let's see, unmasked, raw intelligence? They already had the transcript and even then still struck and the other FBI agent didn't think he was lying and then... At when he ran out of money, had to sell his house, they said, well, we're going to put your kid in jail unless you admit to lying when he didn't lie. Um, yeah. Now you're saying they came to your house and harassed you and told you you didn't need a, lo a lawyer either. Same thing, and they did it to a number of other people that I've been in contact with who were part of the National Security Council. They came to my door unannounced. I was all alone. They knew I was alone. I later realized that they had parked outside of my house and waited for my husband to leave, and so they knew I was home alone. And they come in and say, well, we're from the FBI. We want to ask you a few questions about the Mueller, about Russian interference in the election. 
And so I said, well, I want to find out what the Russians did, too. I'll happily help you. But do I need a well, lawyer? But, but, I think, yeah, but by the I, way, that is the normal, any patriotic American, and my FBI friends say never talk to the FBI unless you have well, a lawyer. I'm never going to talk to them. They're like vampires. But Isn't that sad, though? KT, I, I mean, I want to help the sad. FBI. I, didn't, I used to uh, think these were the good guys. But they come they used in, to and, be. I, and, I, and I said, so, Sean, I said, do I need a lawyer? I've never met with any of the Russians. And they said, well, we can't tell you not to get a lawyer, but we just want to ask you a few questions. Well, that was the beginning of probably 30 or 40 hours of interviews, which were interrogations. And I kept asking them, do, I, do you think I need a lawyer? Um, by the way, I don't have access to my records. If I give you an answer it's, and I'm wrong, it's not because I'm lying or deliberate. I just don't remember. And so then they would show me one after another of an excerpt from an email. And they may have removed the header or the, of the to or the from column, or they would have had deliberately taken out three or four of the paragraphs, and they would show me one paragraph out of context, out of time, and say, what's this about? And if I got it wrong, then they would come back and say, well, we think you should have remembered that, and the implication being perjury. At the end of all of it, I ended up getting the best lawyer in America, Bob Jifra, Sullivan and Cromwell, um, but he said you were being set up for a perjury trap because they could find you'd done nothing wrong. But if you had made a mistake about what you said to them, then they could charge you with lying, and then you have to def- you have to prove that you're innocent. Hundreds of thousands of dollars later. That's that's not the United States of America no. that you're describing. You're describing a banana republic. And what happened to General Flynn, and what Comey admits to, and and we know that McCabe, the Inspector General, found lied four times. Is this how we treat 33-year vets that served their country in combat in some of those years? Here's the other thing I don't understand. And by the way, I'm sorry you've gone through all of this. Um, General Flynn does not deserve this. He never lied. The FBI never thought he lied. And they want to put him in jail for lying. And the president's right when he says Comey's gotten away with it and McCabe's gotten away with it and all these other deep state actors have gotten away with it. Um, I, I can't believe this is now the America that we're living in. And I am afraid for my country. I really am. The night that General Flynn was forced to resign, I went into his office and said, did you talk to the Russians about sanctions? And he looked up at me and he said, I've racked my brain. Honestly, I can't remember whether I said it or not and how I would have said it. And I looked at him and he did not look like a guy who was lying or dissembling. He looked like a guy who was really just confused and frankly frightened. And he looked up at me and he said, I've really screwed up, haven't I? Well, maybe he screwed up, but it didn't deserve any of this. And they set him up. They knew that he had financial. He didn't have the deepest pockets. They knew that they could get him because if you go look at the scent at the statement that General Flynn made when he pled guilty, he said, "I'm doing this for the best interests of my family." Well, and then and they ended up going broke, having to sell his house, broke. and then they yeah. threatened to put his son in jail. Now, I, right. I'm sorry, but I think what he so they basically said, "You didn't lie. We didn't think you lied, but you're going to admit to lying." It doesn't get any sicker than that, in my view. All right, as we continue, KT McFarland is with us, former uh, Deputy National Security Advisor in the Trump years, and describing what scares the living daylights out of me, and that is uh, abuse of power, corruption, which I believe that Barr will get to and Durham will get to. All right, you and I both know known John Bolton a long time. I don't know why John Bolton, I've invited him on the program a bunch. John Bolton wants to sell this book. 
Finally, I guess in this interview, he says uh, his lawyer made it seem he has so much to add to the Ukraine issue. Then he said, oh, nothing would have changed the outcome. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on here, because that doesn't sound like the John Bolton I've known. And I remember talking to John Bolton before he went in. I said, look, John, his the, the president's foreign policy views are not yours. Are you willing to serve his foreign policy agenda and he, he swore to me absolutely yes do you know what's gone on there yeah i mean i think the odd thing about it it's almost like goldilocks and the three bears when is the president going to get the right national security advisor flynn agreed with trump unfortunately they took flynn out and then general mcmaster came in and he didn't agree with trump he was sort of on the other side he was he was not a he was not a nationalist or a populist and then john bolton came in and he was far more um, interventionist and willing to use military power when trump's much more willing to use economic power which is safer and a better result um, i think he's finally got the right national security advisor but i'm not sure that john bolton didn't somehow find a way that he thought that he was going to convince trump that he was right but trump knows what he's doing and the role Look, I didn't like when uh, I, I, apparently he had, I guess, had battles with with other people like Pompeo and Mick Mulvaney, sure, which is which happens in every administration. But Absolutely. what I don't understand is this is like too cute by half. Um, and it bothers me because that is not the person that I think I've known all these years. Well, you don't and I'm assuming he's going to say, oh, the president said that uh, Ukraine's not getting the money unless they do this, this and this, which, by the way, would not change the four basic facts that Jim Jordan pointed out right. is they got everything and they promised nothing and did nothing. Yeah. And, and if John Bolton was saying that Trump said bad stuff, Trump says a lot of stuff. But watch what Trump does. And, and Jim Jordan was right. Trump, nothing bad happened here. In fact, good stuff happened for Ukraine. It's just that. Did Trump say some things? Maybe, maybe not. But none of those things are crimes. Yeah. All right, KT McFarlane, fast. I'm sorry you've had to go through all of this. I really mean that. No yeah. American that has served their country as long as you have should have to have gone through that. Uh, the book is called Revolution, Trump, Washington, We the People. Uh, 800-941-SEAN is our number. That book is on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. When we come back, uh, oh, you're going to meet this guy. Oh, he's rich and wealthy. I wonder if he's going to apologize like Bloomberg. His name is David Rubenstein, and he's got an amazing story about, well, let's say modern-day historians. Next. It is that word, socialism. Some people like it. Younger people like it. Those of us like me who grew up in the, grew up in the Cold War and saw some aspects of it after visiting places like Vietnam, like I have, and seeing countries like Cuba being there, I've seen what socialism is like. I don't like it. Okay, it's not only not free, it doesn't freaking work. It just doesn't work. All right. What we need to do to deal with this grotesque level of income and wealth inequality is make sure that those people who are working, you know what, Mr. Bloomberg, wasn't you who made all that money. Maybe your workers played some role in that as well. And it is important that those workers are able to share the benefits. Also, when we have so many people who go to work every day, and they feel not good about their jobs. They feel like cogs in a machine. I want workers to be able to sit on corporate boards as well so they can have some say over what happens to their lives. Mayor Bloomberg, you own a large company. Would you support what Senator Sanders is proposing? Absolutely not. I can't think of a ways that would make it easier for Donald Trump to get reelected than listening to this conversation. <laughs> it's ridiculous. 
We're not going to throw out capitalism. We tried that. Other countries tried that. It was called communism, and it just didn't work. Socialism, highly centrally planned collectivist policies, does not work. Centrally planned collectivist, these kinds of political economic models, they're despotic, they are tyrannical, they impoverish. Look at the economic performance. Together we're building the world's most prosperous economy. And what we've done in the last three years, they said, was absolutely impossible to do. We've created nearly 180,000 new jobs right here in Colorado. Nobody would have thought that. Including, including 25,000 new manufacturing and construction jobs. Remember they said, you can't do manufacturing jobs anymore, really? Tell me about it. Unemployment has reached the lowest rate in over one half a century. The average unemployment rate, this is a beauty, for my administration is the lowest for any United States president in the history of our country. That's not a bad one. The unemployment rate among African Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans has reached the lowest levels ever recorded. For women, 71 years, and soon you're going to be hitting the historic number. 71 years, the best numbers in 71 years. African-American and Hispanic-American poverty has plummeted to the lowest rates ever recorded. The unemployment rate for women, statistics for women that are going to be unbelievable. They're going to be unbelievable. The best ever. The veterans' unemployment rate dropped to a record low. Workers without a high school diploma have achieved the lowest unemployment rate ever recorded in U.S. history. Half a million more Hispanic Americans now own a home. We've lifted 10 million people off of welfare, and median household income is now at the highest level in the history of our country. Think of that. Think of this. Is it in touting great economic success in history in the making when you break record after record low in terms of what the best unemployment, lowest unemployment now since 1969? Uh, the record low unemployment for African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, women in the youth uh, workplace, youth unemployment, African-American youth unemployment. And compare that to Bloomberg. I, I'm so sorry I'm successful. I mean, it's kind of interesting, but uh, I would argue in many ways we are living in a very historic time period. Whether you like Donald Trump or not, he is a transformational president. I don't think the presidency will ever be the same in as much as I think the, the dynamics even of just social media usage alone and as a means of communicating with the American people. And we, we, we see these crowds of, of tens of thousands inside and outside these arenas, even in the freezing cold, waiting to hear from their president. Um, 
But history, it, it, the prism of history is always interesting, though, isn't it? Um, somebody that understands all the economic issues, uh, probably at a level that most of us will only envy for most of our lives, is uh, named David Rubenstein. He's the co-founder, co-executive chairman of, I'm sure many of you have heard it, it's called the Carlyle Group out of Washington, D.C., they're a global investment firm. They manage $224 billion, quite a lot of money. Um, and I got to, just by happenstance, I, I met David um, at an event that I was speaking at down in Florida. And I met his daughter and I met him and I had some time to talk to him and he handed me his book. And the book is called The American Story. It's a compilation of interviews with master historians about U.S. history, like David McCullough, John Meacham, and uh, Walter Isaacson, uh, so many different people. And I've been reading it, and I can't put it down. Even people like Bob Woodward, I don't have to agree with them. Doris Kearns Goodwin, Abe Lincoln, we all know about that, the team of rivals. Um, and I'm fascinated because I think we're living through history, and we can learn from history. And those that research these best-selling books about history inspire me because you learn a lot of things. Number one, the challenges that people face in their time, how they overcome those challenges, and how even though times change, many of the problems remain the same. Anyway, David is with us now. How are you, sir? Very, very well. Thank you very much, Sean, for having me. And I enjoyed our brief conversation down in Florida. Well, and I talk more to your daughter. You're, you're, she's a firecracker. Man, oh, man, is she smart. Um, She's, she's very, very impressive. Well. She's done very well. Thank you. <laughs> I, that's, um, a, that's a nice way of putting it. She's, uh, she's She is a very sharp, smart, uh, I, I got to say, energetic um, and enthusiastic uh, investor. I know she works with you, and I, I bet you're very proud of her. Well, I am, but uh, you should also know that she was the co-chairman of uh, Donald Trump's campaign in Alaska. And she so she's a committed uh, supporter of uh, President Trump. And um, so anyway, I just wanted to mention what this book was about, uh, that you mentioned this in, on your, in your lead-in. Uh, if you don't remember history, you're condemned to relive it. That's an old saying. But the truth is, if you don't know the mistakes of the past, you might make them again. So that's why we should study history. And who better to know about history than our members of Congress? So six years ago, I started a program where once a month I interview a great American historian in front of only members of Congress. And I took 16 of the best interviews from the people you mentioned and put them in this compilation. And it's designed to be an easy way to kind of read about a major people in American history, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, um, Tom. Thomas Jefferson and so forth, or important people who are not presidents like Charles Lindbergh or Martin Luther King. And I think the response has been pretty good. And as you probably know from reading the book, um, you know, it's an easy kind of way to get through American history. It's not like reading a textbook. And so I really encourage people to kind of learn about more about our history. This is a sad situation. Three quarters of Americans, 75%, recently failed to name the three branches of government. One third of Americans could not even name one branch of government. And it turns out that that right now 16% of the people in a recent survey said that Justice Scalia is the chief justice of the United States. Oh, and you know, he's obviously deceased. Uh, you know, to be a, 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 a citizen in this country, if you're not born here, you have to take a citizenship test after five years of residency. 91% of the people take that test pass. The same test was give, given to 41,000 Americans who were born in this country recently. And in 49 out of 50 states, a majority of citizens failed this basic citizenship test. Only in Vermont did they pass. So 
Uh, we should learn more about history and civics. You know, if that way we can avoid the mistakes of the past. Unfortunately, we don't teach American history very much anymore. What do you take out of the lessons that you write about with John Adams, Jefferson, Hamilton, Ben Franklin, Lincoln, Lindbergh, Martin Luther King Jr., LBJ, Nixon, I mean, Chief Justice Roberts, by oh. the way, which you included in the book, and I, I learned things I didn't know about him. Well, I would say about him, uh, interestingly, when I interviewed him, and I've been the chairman of the Smithsonian for a while, he's the chancellor, so I've gotten to know him. When I interviewed him in front of members of Congress, because I thought they should learn more about the Supreme Court, I said, did you always want to be Chief Justice? He said, no. Did you want to be a lawyer? No. What did you want to be when you were little? He said, I wanted to be a historian. I only cared about American history. So he went to Harvard, major in history. He came back from spring break, gets in a cab at Logan Airport, says the, to the cab driver, um, please take me to Harvard. And the cab driver said, are you a student there? Yes. What are you majoring in? Majoring in history. Cab driver said, well, when I was a student at Harvard, that's what I majored in also. So John decided maybe he should go to law school, get a profession. Yeah. And he did. Why, but he still why is there... There's a theme. There's this always this push and pull right. of of freedom versus, I guess, statism. Maybe the best way to put it. And and those that want to believe the promises that the government is going to be your caretaker and socialism and redistribution and higher taxes. Frankly, wealth confiscation. If you listen to Bolshevik Bernie or you know Mike Mike Bloomberg, you know Farmer Mike oh. apologizing for being successful, which is ridiculous to me. Um, I think we should celebrate success. What? But there is this poll that people say, no, 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 we'll take care of your every need. Now, the new Green Deal, the estimates are $94 trillion in 10 years. Medicare for all estimates are $52 trillion in 10 years. We only take in four, $4.5 a a year. You don't need uh, a calculator to figure out none of that adds up, which means these are false promises that could never be fulfilled and basically, to get there, you're going to confiscate everybody's wealth and nobody will have anything. And, and how did Obamacare work out? Well, one of the things we've learned from history is that campaign promises made in presidential campaigns are very difficult to uh, keep. And so you really need to study history a bit to see what is realistic and what's not in terms of what presidents can, uh, can deliver. I also would add that when you study great men of history and great women of history, what you learn is that despite deification of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, they had their flaws like everybody. And so today, when you see modern political figures, we know their flaws because we see them up front. But if you, we, were, we were living back uh, 200 years ago, we'd see the flaws of these other people that are now so famous. So nobody is perfect. Everybody has uh, their warts, and everybody uh, you know, makes you mistakes. Ju you just shattered my illusion. I've, I've, I've thought since the day I was born I was perfect. No, I'm teasing. We've all sinned well, and fallen there, there short. There may be an ex there may be, or, uh, you may be one of the few people that are perfect, but generally, uh, the, generally no, people gen have No, flaws. we've all sinned and fallen short. That's, that's simple and basic and fundamental, and I think most people recognize that. Um, is there any, how do you view, as you look at the context of your book and all these historical figures, I believe very strongly that Trump will go down. President Trump is a transformational president in so many different ways. He's a, he's a force of nature. And I know he creates some polarization and, and people that love him, love him a lot. I like the fact that he keeps promises and I like the fact that his foreign policy has been successful and his economic policies of ending burdensome regulation and and cutting taxes and and allowing the free flow of America's energy resources for the first time and putting America first, I think, are working for the American people. Do you see it that way as you as you look at it through the prism of the people you feature in your book? There's no doubt that some presidents are transformational, um, like Ronald Reagan might be said to be transformational, what he did. 
whatever Donald Trump does or doesn't do in terms of getting reelected, there's no doubt that he has transformed the presidency in this respect. Presidents will communicate in the future much differently than they did in the past. Before you had press secretaries, you didn't know what the president thought all the time. Now you know what the president thinks all the time. And I think it might be difficult for future presidents to communicate in, in the same ways we did in the past. Uh, that's one thing. I think the president uh, has made it clear that he really likes his base and he wants to make certain that that base is fully supportive of him. And that's probably something other presidents might do. Is, you know, he spent a lot of time on his base. Uh, there's no doubt that the economy is as good as we've seen it in our lifetime. Uh, many people take credit for it. Generally, the presidents of the United States uh, get the most credit for it. And interestingly, a uh, president of the United States who has a good economy and running for re-election hasn't lost um, since, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, William Howard Taft, and he was running against That's a good two point. other people. Last, last question, because I'm running out of time here. Uh, David Rubenstein is with us. You know, I, I, I would assume being the co-executive chairman of a group like the Carlyle Group, uh, an investment firm managing $224 billion, I would assume you're a pretty wealthy guy. Here's one thing I feel, you know, everyone, we always seem to be pitting old versus young, rich versus poor, and dividing Americans, but one thing I've kind of figured out as I've gotten older, and I kind of started out my life with nothing, David, I don't know how much you know about me, but I learned that we're all renters. In other words, you think you own your home, you think you own your car, you think you own your toys, whatever it happens to be. But the day you die, somebody else is going to live in your house, right. drive your car and ride around in your boat or whatever else you have in, in right. life. And money does not make you happy. Well, money doesn't make you happy for sure. And the, the most uh, un unhappy people I've ever met are, are really wealthy people. Many billionaires I know are tortured souls because they realize money doesn't make them happy. And what makes you happy is a happy family life. Um, successful children, a healthy uh, existence, so you're healthy. And also the most important thing is helping other people. Nobody gets as much pleasure out of life as, as the, when you help other people. You help people that have poverty, you help people well that said. have educational needs. That's the most important thing in life. All right, uh, David Rubenstein, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Hey. Thank you very much. All right, so the president in Phoenix uh, two nights ago... And then last night, unbelievable rally in Colorado, Vegas today. And so as our highlight, best of audio, I always think it's better to let the president speak in his own words. And, you know, we, no network is covering all of his rallies, but he had three unbelievable rallies this week. Very important states. And I want to play that and highlights from the debates for our highlight reel of the week. Please welcome this year's Grand Marshal, the 45th President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump, accompanied by First Lady of the United States, Melania Trump. Daytona International Speedway, we love our country, and it's truly an honor to be with all of you at the great American race. Gentlemen, start your engines. Uh, Mr. Bloomberg had policies in New York City of stop and frisk, which went after African-American and Latino people in an outrageous way. That is not a way you're going to grow voter turnout. 
I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. <laughs> Democrats are not going to win if we have a nominee who has a history of hiding his tax returns, of harassing women, and of supporting racist policies like redlining and stop and frisk. Look, I'll support whoever the Democratic nominee is, but understand this. Democrats take a huge risk if we just substitute one arrogant billionaire for another. Uh, you know, I have been told as a woman, as someone that maybe no one thought was still going to be standing up on this stage, but I am because of pure, pure grit and because of the people out there. I've been told many times to wait my turn and to step aside. And I'm not going to do that now. And I'm not going to do that because a campaign memo uh, from Mayor Bloomberg said this morning uh, that the only way uh, that we get a nominee is if we step aside for him. I think we need something different than Donald Trump. I don't think you look at Donald Trump and say we need someone richer in the White House. The mayor says that he has a great record, that he's done these wonderful things. Well, the fact of the matter is he has not managed his city very, very well when he was there. He didn't get a whole lot done. He had stop and frisk, throwing close to five million young black men up against the wall. And when we came along in our administration, the President Obama, and said we're going to send in a moderator to a mediator to stop it, he said that's unnecessary. So I, we we're going to get a chance to talk about the mayor's record. But in terms of who is best prepared to beat Donald Trump, look at your poll and what it says. Mayor Buttigieg, you'd like to weigh in. Yes, we've got to wake up as a party. We could wake up two weeks from today, the day after Super Tuesday, and the only candidates left standing will be Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg, the two most polarizing figures on this stage. And most Americans don't see where they fit if they've got to choose between a socialist who thinks that capitalism is the root of all evil and a billionaire who thinks that money ought to be the, the root of all power. We need to get everybody's health care plan out here. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg really has a slogan that was thought up by his consultants to paper over a thin version of a plan that would leave millions of people unable to afford their health care. It's not a plan, it's a PowerPoint. And Amy's plan is even less. It's like a post-it note, insert plan here. Bernie started very much, uh, has a good start, but instead of expanding and bringing in more people to help, uh, instead his campaign relentlessly attacks everyone who asks a question or tries to fill in details about how to actually make this work. And then his own advisors say, yeah, probably won't happen anyway. Look, health care is a crisis in this country. We need, my approach to this is we need as much help for as many people as quickly as possible and bring in as many supporters as we can. And if we don't get it all the first time, yeah. take the win and come it. back into the fight to ask I for promise more. Well, already we've closed 304 out of the 530 coal-fired power plants in the United States, and we've closed 80 out of the two or 300 that are in Europe. Uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies working with the Sierra Club, that's one of the things you do. But just let's start at the beginning. If you're president, the first thing you do the first day is you rejoin the Paris Agreement. This is just ridiculous for us to drop out.
Two, America's responsibility is to be the leader in the world. And if we don't, we're the ones that are going to get hurt just as much as anybody else. And that's why I don't want to have us cut off all relationships with China, because you will never solve this problem without China and India, Western Europe and America. That's where most of the greenhouse gas... Let me just finish one other thing. I believe, and you can uh, tell me whether this is right, but the solar array that the vice president was talking about is being closed because it's not economic, that you can put solar panels in and modern technology, even more modern than that. You have said uh, that you were going to have an executive order that would stop drilling uh, on, on public land, stop mining, which is a huge industry here. you got to have lithium. you got to have copper for renewable energy. How do you do that? So, look, I think we should stop all new drilling and mining on public lands and all offshore drilling. If we need to make exceptions because there are specific minerals that we've got to have access to, then we locate those and we do it not in a way that just is about the profits of giant industries, but in a way that is sustainable for the environment. We cannot continue to let our public lands be used for profits by those who don't care about our environment and are not making it better. What we need to do to deal with this grotesque level of income and wealth inequality is make sure that those people who are working, you know what, Mr. Bloomberg, wasn't you who made all that money. Maybe your workers played some role in that as well. And it is important that those workers are able to share the benefits. Also, when we have so many people who go to work every day and they feel not good about their jobs, they feel like cogs in a machine. I want workers to be able to sit on corporate boards as well so they can have some say over what happens to their lives. Mayor Bloomberg, you own a large company. Would you support what Senator Sanders is proposing? Absolutely not. I can't think of a ways that would make it easier for Donald Trump to get reelected than listening to this conversation. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We're not going to throw out capitalism. We tried that. Other countries tried that. It was called communism, and it just didn't work. Walmart, we have to subsidize Walmart's workers who are on Medicaid and food stamps because the wealthiest family in America pays starvation wages. That's socialism for the rich. I believe in democratic socialism for working people, not billionaires. Health care for all. Educational opportunity for all. Thank you, Mayor Bloomberg. What a wonderful country we have. The best known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here. Well, you'll miss that I work in Washington, House One. That's the first problem. Live in Burlington, House Two. That's good. And like thousands of other Vermonters, I do have a summer camp. Forgive me for that. Where is your home? Which tax? Which tax haven? New York. Your home. New York City. Thank you very much. And I pay all my taxes, and I'm happy to do it because I get something for it. And I don't know if anybody watched last night's debate. It got very big ratings, and you know what? Mini Mike didn't do well last night. I was going to send him a note saying, it's not easy doing what I do, is it? Not easy. It's not easy, Mike. Not easy for any of them. Now, Mike didn't do too well. He went way down. It's all right. Mini Mike. How about Klobuchar? Did you see her? She choked. She choked. She choked. She couldn't breathe. Alfred E. Newman looked at her and said, 
something slightly derogatory. And she said, are you accusing me of being dumb? Who would make a statement like that? Because that's really what he was doing, but he doesn't want to say that. No, no, how about that? Are you saying I'm dumb? That was the end of her campaign in my book, you know. You don't say that. Even if it's true, you don't say that. And it's my strong opinion that the forewoman of the jury, the woman who was in charge of the jury, is totally tainted. When you take a look, how can you have a person like this? She was a anti-Trump activist. Now, how can you have a jury pool tainted so badly? It's not fair. What happened to him is unbelievable. They say he lied. But other people lied, too. Just to mention, Comey lied. McCabe lied. Lisa Page lied. Her lover, Struck, Peter Struck, lied. Sleepy Joe Biden the other day had 68 people. And now they have a new member of the crew, Mini Mike. Mini Mike. No boxes. We call them no boxes. And I hear he's getting pounded tonight. You know he's in a debate. I hear they're pounding him. He spent $500 million so far. And I think he has 15 points. It just came out. Hey, fake news. How many points does he have right now? 15? They won't tell you the truth. They just came out with a poll a little while ago. Mini Mike was at 15 and Crazy Bernie was at 31. That's a lot. And Mini Mike just spent 500 million. But, but the DNC, the DNC is going to take it away from Bernie again. And that's okay because we don't care who the hell it is. We're going to win. We're going to win. We have to. We have a double sided justice. It's very unfair what's going on. Very unfair, but let's see how it all works out, folks. Together, we're building the world's most prosperous economy. And what we've done in the last three years, they said, was absolutely impossible to do. We've created nearly 180,000 new jobs right here in Colorado. Nobody would have thought that. Including, including 25,000 new manufacturing and construction jobs. Remember they said, you can't do manufacturing jobs anymore. Really? Tell me about it. Unemployment has reached the lowest rate in over one half a century. The average unemployment rate, this is a beauty, for my administration is the lowest for any United States president in the history of our country. That's not a bad one. The unemployment rate among African Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans has reached the lowest levels ever recorded. And for women, 71 years, and soon you're going to be hitting the historic number. 71 years, the best numbers in 71 years. African-American and Hispanic-American poverty has plummeted to the lowest rates ever recorded. The unemployment rate for women, statistics for women that are going to be unbelievable. They're going to be unbelievable. The best ever.
The veterans' unemployment rate dropped to a record low. Workers without a high school diploma have achieved the lowest unemployment rate ever recorded in U.S. history. Half a million more Hispanic Americans now own a home. We've lifted 10 million people off of welfare, and median household income is now at the highest level in the history of our country. Think of that. Think of this. So what a week this has been. The Democratic Party, a complete, utter meltdown, disaster for Plan B. Plan A was Joe. Plan B is, is Bloomy, the farmer. Uh, now I guess Plan C is the socialist, but let's try and steal it from him if we can. And who would replace him? I don't know. It's only going to get worse. We have Vegas this week, next week in South Carolina. Then it's Super Tuesday. It is going to get so ugly. It's so demonstrably worse. Mark my words. We'll have it all covered when we get back here on Monday with only 253 days to go until you become the ultimate jury with the chance to shock the world again. Anyway, have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. We live in the greatest country God gave man. Always a great reason to give thanks. And I'll give thanks to you, this great audience, every day.